episode, we are chatting with Robert Pontesio. Robert is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on K-12 education, curriculum, teaching, school choice, and charter schooling. We discuss the importance of reading comprehension in the science of reading, which is being overlooked by some. Robert wrote a great article about the need for a reading comprehension movement that's in the episode notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Building Knowledge Podcast. Today, I have with me Robert Pontesio. Robert is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on K-12 education curriculum, teaching, school choice, and charter schooling. Before joining IAE, Robert was a policy analyst and education reform expert at, at the Fordham Institute. He previously worked for the Cornellage Foundation as an advisor and civics teacher at Democracy Prep Schools. He is, became interested in these policy issues when he started teaching and he taught fifth grade at a struggling South Bronx public school in 2002. So he definitely has street cred, folks. Um, before that, he worked in journalism for 20 years, including in senior positions at Time and Business Week. Robert, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. And 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 the, the part of my bio that perhaps you, you didn't touch upon, which I should state out right out at the open, is um, I'm an unabashed uh, E.D. Hirsch Jr. fanboy. I mean, I've, I've told this story a thousand times about how Hirsch was the one theorist who described what I saw in that South Bronx classroom every single day for five years. And I was stunned back then and even to a degree now um, at the, the kind of misunderstandings of his his work, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. But um, that that experience in the South Bronx 20 years ago is is what kind of led me almost literally to Don Hirsch's door and 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 his vision of of what literacy could be for the the, the students that I that I taught and that I still care about to this day. I I'm kind of the same way. I taught first grade and fifth grade, and I started out teaching at a Catholic school in downtown Detroit. So it just naturally goes to this Dr. Hirsch's ideas and seeing what could really work and what people are missing. Um, and that goes right into my first question. You recently wrote an article and it was titled Wanted, a Science of Reading Comprehension Movement. So can you talk to us a little bit about why you decided to write this article? And by the way, I'll have the link to this article in the notes. Sure, and, and thanks for that. Um, you know, it, it stems from my being an unabashed and unapologetic Hersheyan. Um, look, if you had told me, you know, as recently as ten, even five years ago, that that the, the the science of reading would be a thing, you know, and that we'd be talking about this in in education, that there would be legislation, you know, mandating um, curriculum, you know, HQIM as it were, based on the science of reading in twenty odd states, that ed schools would be suddenly, you know, um, at, at least covering the science of reading, that you have Facebook groups with literally hundreds of thousands of teachers um, uh, lamenting what they did not learn in ed school and should have learned about the science of reading. If you if you had told me that in you know the year 2022 that these things would be happening, I'd say, well, that's that's nice, but not in my lifetime. So so I mean, let me you know just state emphatically at the outset that this is all good news. You know, the idea that there is even this commonly understood thing called the science of reading um, that teachers uh, and, and districts and even states are are suddenly focused on 
man, that's that's a, a an unambiguous great good thing. Um, there's a but coming, right? <laughs> and here it comes. Um, you know, those of us who are persuaded by Hirsch's view of 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 literacy background knowledge, vocabulary, language proficiency. Well, it's not hard to spot that 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 this is the starting line uh, for, for 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 literacy. It's not the finish line. And, and that's the danger. Um, I mean, look, I've given talks about this for for well over a decade now, um, you know, describing, and this is this is almost a homily to those of us who are core knowledge disciples, uh, that you know, reading is 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 a two-part process. There is the decoding piece. And then there's the language and knowledge and 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 you know or 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 background knowledge piece. So the science of reading has gotten really um, the, the the field admirably focused on that decoding piece. Um, but if we don't follow that up with knowledge rich curriculum, uh, with language proficiency, with idiomatic language, with all of these things that we know undergird mature literacy, well then it's not hard to foresee a day in the not very distant future where people say, oh, that's science of reading stuff. Oh, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. Yeah, that in education, when you've been around long enough, it's it's cyclic. And then yeah. we'll bounce back to something else. And why do you think that the foundational skills piece has gained so much traction so fast? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I mean, I, I tend to attribute it to the work of Emily Hanford, um, who is a terrific reporter for American public media. Um, and look, I've, I've said this to Emily, so I, I'm not in, in in no way should this be perceived as dismissive. But but in in point of fact, she's not really saying anything that a lot of people haven't said for many, many years, you know, including Dr. Hirsch. Um, but for whatever reason, in the hands of a you know skilled communicator and gifted storyteller, it was uh, the way I describe it. It was like a hammer through glass. Suddenly, the message got through. Um, and, and I guess another way to put it, I'm sorry, this this may get a bit discursive, but but see if you can bear with me on this. Um, so you know, I've, since leaving the classroom, I've kind of worked in what I would broadly call the ed reform space, right? And and the reason I've had any kind of career in education reform whatsoever is because of something that I thought was obvious, but it was not obvious to the education reform people, which is, hey, what kids do all day matters. Curriculum choices matter. Pedagogy matters. Um, at the risk of oversimplifying it, you could make the case that the, the logic of education reform for, for more than two decades has been, well, we just need to measure what goes into the black box of the classroom and what comes out. Um, and because it's all the same, you know, and and then we'll know if the teacher's any good or the teacher's not any good. Well, those of us who have been teachers know that there's tremendous variability inside that black box, you know, that te teacher quality matters, sure, but so do teacher choices, so do curriculum, so do instructional strategies, so do school culture. I mean, there's so many moving parts that that affect a, a student outcome. But I, but I think that idea that a school is a school is a school, a teacher is a teacher is a teacher probably held us back. So so for years, I, I, again, I've been that guy saying, hey, you know, can we talk about what the kids do all day and measure that too? And, you know, there's there's a, a, a fairly good body of, of educational research and literature on curriculum effects that has all been all but been ignored um, in the ed reform era. And, and look, if we're being really candid about it, the ed reform era has probably arguably largely been a failure. You know, we don't have a lot to show for you know, 40 years of standards and testing and accountability. 
So even if we're now getting to the point of taking an interest in curriculum because those other things have, have disappointed or underperformed, well, here we are. So that's why I keep saying it's a great good thing that we're at last focused on uh, on curriculum. And, and I guess the, the other point I should make about the ed reform era is it tended to hold teachers accountable for bad outcomes. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-accountability whatsoever, but those of us who have been in the classroom understand that there's a lot of decisions for, for that we are held accountable for, for which we had no input. Um, and and you know, lastly, I think what has really made the science of reading take off and Emily Hanford's work in particular, was it really kind of created the conditions where teachers could say, hey, wait a minute, this was done to me. I was never prepared to, to, to teach this way. Why didn't I ever learn this in education school? Um, so that's a deal that, that 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 is a difference maker. Suddenly, you know, when if if the ed if the great mistake of the ed reform era has been to beat up on teachers, saying, "Hey, why aren't you any good?" Uh, the the science of reading is a permission structure where teachers can say, "I never learned this. Why didn't I ever learn this? How can I how can I be an elementary school educator and never uh, been taught how to teach kids how to read?" That's a real real big difference. So are you seeing an improvement in teacher education programs because of this? Like, are you actually seeing seeing it? Because my fear is that we're not going to see it because they just crank out yeah. teachers out of there or people who really aren't suited to be educators. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I don't want to be unfair here because it's entirely possible that there are ed schools out there that have drunk deeply from the science of reading. I, I don't know that there are, but I don't know that there aren't either. I mean, you know, my, my touchstone is, is work of, say, you know, the National Council on Teacher Quality and AERA and some others. And on the one hand, NCTQ um, points to, and I don't have this in front of me, so this is for memory, um, that more than half of teacher prep programs now um, uh, uh, include the science of reading. And what is unknown and unknowable is whether does that mean it's covered? Does that mean it's valorized? Those are very, very different things. In other words, it's mentioned, oh, and this is something you should be aware of. That's very different than this is how you teach kids how to read, and it's stressed and valorized in, say, a methods class. Uh, so I, 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 I share your skepticism a little bit. Um, there, there's, an, there's an old saying, I, I, I think I actually heard this from Don Hirsch, um, that the field of physics advances one funeral at a time. So, you know, I fear we may have a similar thing in education where, you know, uh, old professors die and you have to get new ones who may may have come up with this, this way of thinking. Um, but I do think, you know, and I don't, I don't want to sound cynical. But it is we we should be skeptical, absolutely, that 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 schools of education have had this kind of, you know, Damascus Road conversion and now suddenly get it on 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 the science of reading. I I, I think that remains to be seen. So, you know, most of the high quality ELA curricula, you know, already has vast similarities, whether, you know, it's CKLA or other programs. Mm -hmm. um, in what content they present to students there, you know, well, we can see them and there's, you know, definitely some overlap, but why do you think people in the education space refuse to acknowledge the importance of this shared knowledge, even though there's curricula that have definite overlaps of specific yeah. content? 
Boy, uh, uh, maybe uh, this is another complicated um, uh, thing to unpack, but I, all I can do is go back to my own you know, training to become an elementary school teacher 20 years ago. There is so much in, in classroom practice that I would describe as kind of obvious, intuitive, um, appealing, and wrong. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, the way we teach literacy is perhaps one of them. So true story. Uh, when I first signed up to, to, to be a teacher at PS 277 in the South Bronx 20 years ago, um, I remember visiting the school and, and the principal asking me what, what was a K-5 school in, in, in Mount Haven in the South Bronx. And the principal asked me, well, what grade do you want to teach? Cause it was hard to staff school. They were just happy to have me at all. And they said fifth grade. And what I, and and she she was kind of I remember her, her her face she was kind of like raised an eyebrow said really nobody wants to teach fifth grade those are the those are the big kids you know everybody usually wants the 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 the, the nice little kids what I was thinking was I don't know how to teach kids how to read like I I, I, I was afraid that I was going to be found out so to speak well th then it turns out that that my my colleagues who were teaching K one and two were no better prepared than I was because of the way we were taught to teach literacy I mean we only use phonics programs. Uh, for for intervention, you know, for, for for struggling readers, it was balanced literacy, but it was you know it, it was it was the whole language, old wine in a new, in a new bottle. Um, but look, I mean, the, the 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 message that I kept getting over and over and over again was my job as a teacher was not to quote teach reading, um, but it was to find out what was going to engage kids. You know, in other words, if kids were struggling readers, it wasn't that they couldn't read. And in fairness, look, I never had a single kid who could not decode. They could all decode, they struggled with comprehension. And the reason I was led to believe that they struggled with comprehension was, well, the curriculum didn't uh, reflect their interests. Um, it wasn't engaging. They were bored by it. They had not fallen in love with reading, on and on and on. I mean, we hear these kind of homilies over and over. And I alluded to this earlier. E.D. Hearst Jr. was the one guy whose work explained exactly what I saw every day. It had nothing to do with engagement or, or relevance. It had to do with background knowledge. It had to do with vocabulary. I mean, since then, I've kind of adopted my own um, analogy, building on Hirsch's work, where I describe, you know, a, a piece of text or a reading passage like a child's game of Jenga. You know, if you if you know that that block tower game where you you know, you so every imagine that every block in that Jenga tower is a bit of background knowledge or or, or vocabulary word. You can pull some number out and the tower will still stand. And then at one point you pull out one too many and it collapses. You know, all meaning is lost. All all coherence is lost. That's kind of what it was, it's like when you're teaching struggling readers. You know, they, they can decode and that's frustrating as a teacher. You know, you hear this over and over again. Well, I read it, but I didn't get it. Well, why didn't you get it? The theories that I was exposed to, you know, it's about engagement, it's about uh, re relevance, did not explain what I saw. Hirsch's theory, it's background knowledge, it's vocabulary, explained it perfectly. Um, so that's how I became kind of an E.D. Hirsch uh, junior disciple. But I think it also explains, assuming that my my experience was more common than not, why the field has been so um, slow to, to, to accept um, uh, the, the Hirsch's work. Um, because uh, of those ideas that are, as I said before, intuitive, engaging, seductive, and, and incorrect. It, 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 I get so frustrated. <laughs> That's why I'm having difficulty right now. I get so frustrated because they, without having 
something to practice these decoding skills on and then just the commonality piece that they're missing. If each one of us are teaching in isolation, then there's no way, you know, from even from year to year in a school that a student's going to build the background knowledge and the vocabulary that they need to pass the reading comprehension piece. Because I've spoken to so many schools where that are core knowledge schools and they've seen a vast improvement in their test scores. And it isn't because of the phonics piece necessarily. Obviously, that plays a huge role. And I don't want to diminish that in any way. But it is the knowledge piece because there might be a question about life cycle of frogs that they did in grade two. It might be something about, you know, the civil war that they did in grade two and grade five. And they're able to answer those questions well, hold on a second. I mean, what you're saying and what we're agreeing and what the cognitive science is unambiguous on, you could make a case um, that this actually, in a way, validates the kind of the bad instructional strategies that that I was I I, I labored under for for years uh, teaching fifth grade. So, in other words, if 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 everything that my students read was stuff that was familiar to them, you know, stuff that reflected their own experience. Well, of course, they're 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 going to seem more competent more, um, than they are because they are they are actually applying background knowledge and vocabulary to their reading. This is like the baseball study, right? You know, the the the, the famous baseball study we all talk about, where kids with low um, reading ability but high background knowledge outscore uh, um, uh, about a uh, high high reading ability, low background knowledge when they're reading about the same subject. That that. That that domain knowledge compensates for and and even uh, trumps um, formative skills or for, formal skills. Um, so in in a way, that's kind of what you see uh, when you, when you're when when the curriculum reflects um, the interest of of the kid. They are reading on topics that are familiar to them. So you're going to see that effect. The problem is we misdiagnose it when they t- sit for a standardized reading test. I mean, I saw this, frankly, in my own building where people said, oh, it's test anxiety. No, it's not. It's just, you know, they they have been reading all year in the classroom about topics they know about. But when you ask them to, to read on a topic they do not know about, it appears as if their skill has fallen away. No, it hasn't. It's 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 you have not prepared them. And, and and this whole thing that reading is reading comprehension is not a skill at all. It's a reflection of your background knowledge, it's a reflection of your vocabulary. So if you if you change the domain. It shouldn't surprise any of us that suddenly they appear to have, you know, lost the ability to, 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 to read, um, to, to, to demonstrate reading comprehension skill. You and I know that's because reading comprehension is not a skill at all. Yep. Nope. And we'll, we just keep preaching the same thing, whether it, it's us, <laughs> Dan Willingham, it's like, it's the same. You, you is not a skill. It's, not it's intellectual guerrilla warfare. We're just going to have to do this house to house, school to school, and you know, and, and eventually we'll, uh, we'll 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 come out on the on on the on the on the upper side. Yep. I have one more question because I would love for our listeners to know, you know, what can classroom teachers and school leaders, people who are listening, who believe in this, what can they do to bring the importance of content knowledge to the forefront? Uh, well, I mean, you know, uh, some of this we've already mentioned. To me, I mean, I've given talks about this for years, and the aha moment for the skeptics is always that baseball study, the the, the Recht and Leslie baseball study. Uh, if you have the ability to post a link to it, please please do. Uh, but that's the study I alluded to earlier that that showed that um, when when uh, when readers have background knowledge in this particular instance about baseball, 
um, and and reading about uh, about baseball, they demonstrate a higher level of comprehension than ostensibly skilled readers with low domain knowledge. So you just take that idea and you extend it across the curriculum. If we know that that background knowledge is comprehension, so to speak, well, then it, then it, then it stands to reason from that the way you build proficient readers is by ensuring that they have as much background knowledge about as many topics as possible. The 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 devil in the details here, because this is the question I always get when I give talks about this, is well, hey, look, my kids are in middle school, you know, or I'm a you know I'm a fifth grade teacher, I can't go back to to, to, to kindergarten. What do I do? And so I've kind of fallen back on 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 just preaching the the the, the window versus the mirror, as it were. So if you if you think about the way I was taught to teach reading comprehension to my kids, make sure that the, their reading is self-selected, that it reflects their interests, that it's engaging, it's about their 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 own personal lives. Well, that's all mirror. It's all about me, and that's great. If if all you're ever going to do is read about me, um, you know, I kind of analogize it to going to the gym and only working out your arms because that's what you like to do. You're not going to get generally fit, and you're not going to look like Popeye. You know, you're <laughs> with 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 giant arms and nothing else. So, I mean, the the, the message is that one, once you understand the connection between background knowledge and language proficiency, well, then it stands to reason that a good education, no matter how late of a start you're getting, has to be focusing kids' attention out the window. You know, the expectation that, look, educated people know a lot, a little about a lot of things. And, and it's, it's not always fewer topics go deeper. Just general knowledge is valuable. It's, it's you know, what, what I call a, a kid's mental furniture. You have to ensure that they have a nice array of mental furniture. And they're not going to get that uh, with a relentless focus on, on me and the mirror. Uh, so if we do nothing else, uh, we, we should be focusing kids' attention and engaging them with the broader world, you know, as, uh, beyond their own experience, because that's how you build good readers. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Robert, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I will make sure that we have not only the link to the article um, that piqued my interest in wanting to have you on to discuss this topic, but also to the Rec and Leslie study. And can I make one more recommendation? Because I promised myself 10 or 15 years ago that I would never speak to an audience without mentioning this. I'm going to mention it again. The best 10 minutes of your life, if you're unfamiliar with these ideas, go on uh, YouTube and Google teaching content is teaching reading, which I'm sure you've seen. It's a fantastic 10 minute video that was produced years ago by Dan Willingham, who we've already talked about at the University of Virginia. Um, That's 10 minutes that that will absolutely explain, uh, give you a a quick resource into into why all this matters and and, and why um, uh, and and how language comprehension actually works. Yep, absolutely. That's something that the, that that can also be shown at a staff meeting and it would be 10 minutes well spent. Absolutely. Or at a school board meeting for that matter. Any public venue, it's 10 minutes. It's meant for the layperson. J- just like I described the, the Recton Leslie study as the hammer through glass uh, moment for, 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 for teachers, that Dan Willingham video has probably converted more people or more, more folks to, to this way of thinking about reading comprehension than, than anything that's ever been done. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.